Amen. I'm, I'm excited about the trainings coming up. We've got, uh, like, like Jeff said, boundaries. Uh, this is something that even when I'm counseling people and talking about boundaries and they will ask the question, is it okay to have boundaries in your life with people in your life? And uh, Jesus had boundaries. Um, sometimes Jesus was with 72, sometimes he was with multitudes, sometimes uh, he needed to pull away and get with the 12 disciples, sometimes he got away with three of them, and sometimes he said, you guys are enough right now, I need to go by myself in the desert. Ever want to just get by yourself in the desert away from everybody? Any of you, any of you have been parents and you just, at the one point, you just want to shut off the kids and go off to a desert and just be alone for some quiet? I'm the only one, I guess. So... Um, but, but if you want to learn about boundaries, I think that would be tremendous. And uh, also in February is our, uh, our school of prayer. If you want to learn how to pray, we're going to be offering that. So just keep your ear to the ground. Uh, open up to you the book of Revelation. We are in a series. It's weird to me in my brain, the way that I think through series, that we are only in week three. But the first week, um, I did not preach first week of January. Pastor Juan crushed it last week. Um, so we are only in week three of our Dear Church series as we're kind of pouring out vision out of Christ's vision for a healthy church. And so uh, this week and next week are going to be a little connected. We're going to deal with two different churches in Revelation. But I feel like today is going to be a bit of a precursor to next week. Uh, we're going to talk about the Word of God today. And next week, we're going to talk about deconstruction, which has been a hot topic in the Christian world. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means to deconstruct faith. What does that look like? What has it done to the church? Um, and we're just going to have a bit of a conversation. So um, I, it's, I believe it's going to be just an awesome time, but it's going to be a little heavy. So if you're brand new, my name is Dave. I'm the pastor. And if you've got questions about the church, um, we would love to answer those questions. If you've got complaints about the church, uh, you're going to talk to Pastor Marty after the service and uh, I'll let him feel those <laughs> every once in a while are you the pastor are you mad at him I've got questions that guy with the blonde hair over there that's the guy you want to talk to oh my word there's a few people that you're not even a pastor I've sent people to oh that guy will answer all your questions whatsoever um, so I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to get through these amazing letters in Revelation 2 and 3 of Jesus helping to correct the, the trajectory of the church. I'm thankful that Jesus co corrects the trajectory of our lives. I'm glad that Jesus loves us too much to let us linger in sin and, and wrongness. I don't know if wrongness is a word or not, but I'm glad that he corrects us and helps us in our lives to lead us into truth. And so Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. Um, verse, uh, yeah, verse 12. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This letter, uh, this message from the one with a sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has its throne. Now that's intense right there. How many of you have ever lived in a city where Satan has its throne? Maybe there's somebody here from Vegas. You're like, I know exactly what they're talking about. Yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful servant, was murdered among you there in Satan's city. <laughs> Man, it's intense. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols, by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, some of the Nicolaitans among you who... Um, among you who follow the same teaching, repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who has an ear must listen. 
to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that nobody understands except the one who receives it. Let's pray. Lord, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of Jesus is to be praised and will be praised. And so we celebrate your name in this place at this time, God. And we just ask that you would just meet with us, challenge us, shape us. We don't want to walk away from this place the same way that we walked in. Just shape anything in our lives that is not shaped like you. Because that can't be done with our own hands. We need a work of the Spirit of God. So Lord, I just bless this message. I ask that it would fall like seed upon good soil. And Lord, bless Matthew Stafford in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, it's the only lion left that I could cheer for. An actual winner. Oh, what a concept. Um, there's a story that went out from a place called Washington County. It's in Oregon. And there was a lady that moved there, a single lady. She's a nurse. And she bought a house in a decent neighborhood. And so uh, the story goes, the article says that she came home from a late, uh, late day of working and nursing, man, just... Props to our nurses in the congregation, how hard you work and you take care of people. Thank you for doing what you do. God bless our medical professionals that are fighting on the front lines. Can we give them a massive hand in the house? When I think about the amount of my trips to the ER as a youth pastor for doing dumb stuff, you deserve extra crowns in heaven for what you deal with. Anyways... So she comes home from a late day and it's already dark and she pulls up to her house and what she does is she leaves lights on in the house because she lives alone and she wants it to look like somebody is home but she looks and she begins to see a shadow moving around her living room and she begins to panic. She doesn't have pets uh, and, and somebody's in her house and so she turns off her headlights and she's looking at her house and she begins to see the shadow go from the living room and begin to go down and actually appear in room, each room. And so she's watching and she's praying and she doesn't know what to do. And so she calls up the police and she says, listen, I don't, I don't have pets. I don't, have, I don't live with anybody, but somebody is in my house. So the police just ascend upon the house. They burst down the door, guns blazing. To find the perpetrator is two inches tall. It's called a Roomba vacuum that has been moving from room to room, cleaning the floor everywhere it goes. It is amazing what happens when we invite something in our brain or something in our heart and how a simple invitation can begin to color everything else differently. It's amazing how when we invite a thought or a series of thought, or if we could say it this way, even doctrines of thought into our brains that begin to metamorphosize that which is inside and to take what is real or even what is true and transform it to be something that it never was meant to be. And that's what we see here in Pergamum. What a great name. I've been practicing that all week long. Um, Pergamum, which is an amazing city that was known well in that world. In fact, Jesus calls the city the place where Satan has its throne. How would you like to live in the city where Satan has its throne? throne. Every time I drive by and I see a Packers bumper sticker, I'm like, this is the city where Satan has its throne. Pergamum, I got an amen, hallelujah. It was a university city. It housed one of the region's largest education centers and libraries. So it was a city that had universities, a college city. 
And in that city was one of the largest, if not the largest, libraries in the history of the known world at that moment. In fact, it had over 200,000 volumes of books in a time where books were rare. But in this place, it was a pagan worshiper's paradise. It was known as the Temple Keepers of all of Asia, where nearly every major deity had a temple. If you can go to the temple of Zeus, they've already uncovered that. He was known as the God of gods, the King of kings. And if you needed something done, you went to Zeus's temple. If you wanted pleasure, you went to the temple of Dionysus. And Dionysus was the God of wine and reverie or the God of pleasure. And, I mean, you want to talk about modern or past day Vegas. You would go there to experience any type of pleasure you would want to experience. And it was so rowdy and it was, it was, there was so much wine and so much of everything going on that people would actually lose their lives in the midst of a time of pleasure. If you wanted good crops, if you were hungry, you went to the temple of Demeter, who was the goddess of crops and food. If you were sick, you could find the temple of Asclepios, who was the god of healing. If you needed wisdom, the temple of Athena, the goddess of wisdom, was there. If you wanted to affirm Caesar as Lord, he was known as the Lord of Lords, and you can go to the temple of Trodran, and you can worship the local politician who has set himself aside as Lord. So this was the temple paradise. And so it's no wonder that, that Jesus, speaking to this church, he says, you live in the city of Satan. You've got a throne room basically to every pagan temple there in Pergamum. So the problem was not that the church was in Pergamum. Because some of us think, if we can just get away from sinners, then that's going to be a good thing. Can I encourage you this morning that holiness is not getting away from sinners? Holiness is removing and pulling ourselves away from sin and getting closer to Jesus. He is the holiness of God. And so by just distancing yourself from somebody who doesn't follow Christ doesn't make you holy. It makes you distant. And Jesus, he didn't have a problem with a church being in Pergamum. The problem is his Pergamum was in the church. And he begins to deal with them about the issues. And he says this in verse 14, I have a few complaints against you that you are beginning to tolerate teaching. And he begins to begin to lay out, here's the type of teaching. He brings up Balaam. We'll get into Balaam in a little bit. He'll talk about the Nicolaitans. We'll talk about them in a little bit. But he begins to talk about these false doctrines, false teachings, that they were taking the, the teachings of Jesus and they were overlapping or even supplanting teachings from other pagan worship and they were integrating it into the church. And so where they had good, good uh, stance against outward pressure, some of them were beginning to get killed for the name of Jesus, martyr for the name of Jesus, but even though they had outward pressures going on, they were allowing something inward on the inside. They begin to tolerate unbiblical teaching. And so let's talk about compromise today, but I didn't want to come up with a, a definition of just the word compromise, because compromise can be a good thing in marriage. It can be a good thing. That may be a word for somebody today. It's okay to have some marital compromise. But when we talk about sinful compromise, when we lay down that which is what God would desire from our life for something other, uh, I wrote it this way. Sinful compromise is when I forsake what is true for what is convenient. What is true? Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth and the life Jesus is what's true and so when we begin to replace the ways of Christ the ways that he has led the way that he has taught the way that he has given us when we supplant that for what is convenient that's what we call sinful compromise and the reason why I call it sinful compromise is because sometimes there are good things that we put in the way of Christ 
And just because it's good doesn't mean it's what's best. And so God doesn't want to settle for our good. He wants us to settle for what's best, which is Christ Jesus and living in his way and walking in his way. And that's why I titled today's message, Spiritual Pollution. That we can get to the place where we have allowed culture to dictate the gospel instead of utilizing culture to convey the gospel because there's a difference. Because I have traveled in different parts of the world, and I'm going to tell you that when I go to different parts of the world, that when I minister there, I do my best to, to look at the culture, and I utilize the culture to find a way to, to, to help give and deliver the good news of Jesus Christ. What we don't do and what we are seeing come up, especially in the American church, it's not when, it's not when we're utilizing culture to convey the gospel. It's when we start allowing culture to dictate the gospel. And we cannot be the people that are transforming the gospel to be any less than what it is just because that's what culture wants it to do. Because if, my question is, where does that stop and which culture gets to dictate the gospel? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why at KFIRST, we will always stick to Jesus. He will always be our plumb line. He will always be our foundation. And next week, we're not going to talk about that foundation. And we can pull things apart and begin to relook at our beliefs, begin to relook at churches, look at stances. But the one thing that we can never do without, it's he who is the foundation and the center of our life, and it is Jesus. That's why we will always preach the gospel. We will always preach the good news of Jesus. We will always have our lives model his grace. And we will see every, every, every human being that is breathing breath in their lungs. We will see every human being as people made in the image of God, deserving of love, mercy, and grace. We will always be that. But I hope this. I hope that it would be said of us that we would never offer just the benefits of grace without ever taking on the challenge of discipleship. I would hope that we would never just be people who would receive grace without ever, ever taking on the challenge of discipleship. What does that mean? It means this, we say this so often, that Jesus loves us the way that we are, he just loves us too much to leave us that way. That means that when we come to Jesus, we put our faith in Jesus, it, that's the doorway, and that's a path for us to not be the same that we used to be before. We wanna change, we wanna grow, we wanna become more like Christ, and that's why we wanna be a church that emphasizes discipleship, and one of the best way to dive into discipleship is to be men and women of the word of God. We will be a faith community here at KFIRST that will never marginalize biblical engagement. I want to be very clear about that. I've had a few people ask me questions. Pastor Dave, do you still believe in the Bible? And I look over and I see like 17 Bibles on my, on my bookshelf. I'm going to just tell you, I love you all. Please, I, no more Bibles as gifts. I have got enough Bibles. Got one on my phone. I got them everywhere. Got every translation for Pete's sake. But let me tell you this. We will never be a church that will ever marginalize biblical engagement because the second we begin to marginalize it, we will begin to lose out on the direction that Jesus has truly given us. That's why we are emphasizing not just tables in this congregation. What are tables? Tables are small groups. Those are the groups within our church, and we want to see them rise up. How big is, it? How big is a, a table? How big is a group? Um, scripture says this, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name. If you got two or three, they need to sign up and to start up a table because what we want to give you is, I think, a phenomenal tool that we have never been able to give our church, and it's going to be, it's going to be a cost to us, but it's going to be free to you. 
It's called the Bible Engagement Project. The Bible Engagement Project, um, I am so proud of what the Assemblies of God has done as a denomination, is they have come up with an amazing tool to put within your hands that you can, I don't have my phone on me, that you can actually pull up on your phone, you can open up the app, and you've got opportunities to really dive into curriculum, to studies, to talks. In fact, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna show you just a quick little video and just kind of talk you through the Bible Engagement app. So you can put that video up. This is somebody on their phone, and this is what you can bring up. When you open up the app, you'll find a library of where you can find available resources. You can select the In Progress tab to look at any devotions that you've been doing. You can see the progress that's going on at each study. Get this. If you're doing studies with your group, each study has, you've got numbers of studies and not just sessions. In each session, you've got daily devotions for those sessions. So if you want to start a Bible study and you want to learn about a topic, not only do you gather together and talk about the topic, but in between those gatherings, you've got Bible studies. I've had people say, I don't know where to start. You know what? Get together with another brother, another sister. Get together with another couple. Get together. Sign up as a table. We're going to get you a sign-in name, and you're going to get to go through and get yourself in a place where you can do sessions. Times, talks, meets, you can meet with people. You can take notes and share those with one another. If you've got prayer needs through our app, you can share those prayer needs with the rest of your group or with the other groups. This, I believe, can help transform our discipleship where we can no longer be people that just will raise your hand for salvation. We've got a tool to put in your hand to help grow in your relationship with each other and with Christ. Why have we invested money and time into this? It's because if we're gonna be a people that proclaim the word, We've also got to be a church that gives you the tool so that you can get into the word with one another. We need this. You need this. So if you are starting a table, wanting to, wanting to start a table, if you want to get together with a couple men or a couple ladies, um, maybe there's a group of you that want to get together for Bible study once a week and you have nothing to lean into, no curriculum, you talk to us. We're going to get you to sign up. We're going to teach you how to get the group going. And we're going to get you to sign in for the Bible app that's going to give you tools at your disposal. Why? Because we will be a church of the word of God. We won't settle for anything other than the scriptures. In fact, I want to show you something. When you look at the Revelation churches, look at the way Jesus addresses himself at the beginning of each section. Because if you go back to Ephesus, Ephesus, Jesus introduces himself as the one who held the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walked amongst the seven gold stands. In Smyrna, he says, I'm the one who is the first and the last. But in Pergamum, I'm going to read on this side. That one's a little low here. He is the one with the sharp two-edged sword. If you have been in church for any length of time, those words right there, the two-edged sword, what does that remind you of? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Jesus, uh, the writer says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and beings. Right there, we begin to see a symbol that is of the word of God where Jesus is saying, This is who I am. I am the ultimate word. John chapter 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word, and he speaks a word. And what we have got at our disposal is is his spoken words and a God-breathed instrument for which that we can utilize to shape our lives and to speak into our lives, to help our lives, to encourage our lives and to pour into our lives. In fact, let me give you 10 reasons why I believe everybody in this room should be reading the Bible. 
why everybody should be reading. First of all, reading the Bible shows us God's character. Number two, reading the Bible teaches us to imitate God. Three, reading the Bible helps us to discover our next step. Number four, reading the Bible helps us to recognize sin. Number five, reading the Bible helps us to renew our minds so that we can know God's will. Number six, reading the Bible allows us to know what God has said. Number seven, reading the Bible allows us to know how to pray. Number eight, reading the Bible is how we learn about the gospel. Number nine, reading the Bible gives us courage. Number ten, reading the Bible makes us faithful. You're a pastor, have you only found ten things? No, I've only got a set of minutes per uh, Sunday that I get to share with you. But I want you to have this burning desire in your heart because we can look at every city around us and recognize that every city may not have pagan temples, but that we really do. People, I think Emily said it best, people who worship idols, I-D-O-L, or even just worship idol life, I-D-L-E. And we live in an area where, well, I think Satan would love to think that he rules it, but what we have at our disposal is a sword that wants to speak into our lives and begin to shape our lives and a sword that we can utilize against every temptation and while of the enemy himself. And that's why the Bible must be more than a source of information, but a doorway to transformation by the power of the Spirit of God. This is more than just words on a page. There's something transformative about this, but it's hard to have this thing transform our lives if it's never open. And we read the scripture not to gain information. And listen, the information in this is fantastic. I love the information in this until it tells me about something I shouldn't be doing any longer. Anybody else have problems with things like that? Forgive your enemies. Let me erase that one. Uh, Listen, it's more than information. That is a place to encounter Jesus. The scripture is a place for you and I to encounter Jesus. Because abundant lives don't happen just because you've added God to your life. Abundant lives happen because you've allowed God to transform your life. And the way that I believe we can transform our lives is being men and women of the word. It's, I, I don't care if you carry a Bible. I don't care if you own a Bible. I don't care if you've got a bookshelf like mine with all sorts of Bibles that people have given you. I've got one for my grandfather, one for my great-grandfather. That's all great. It's all great to have a Bible. What's even better is when the Bible has us. It's in our spirit and it's in our heart and we're allowing it to confront our lives and to change our lives and shape our lives and we allow the spirit of God to convict our lives as we're digesting it. And what we're seeing in Pergamum is we're seeing this church that was beginning to get away from who Jesus is and what he's called us to do and they begin to compromise. And I believe that one of the greatest sources of compromise that we're seeing today is not a lack of Bibles available, it's just a lack of biblical literacy. We're not in the scriptures. Here's, uh, we've got some great books that we've, that we've tossed out to people to, uh, to read. Uh, this is one of my favorite books I read last year. I just uh, poured water all over it right before the service. So it's a little wrinkle here. Um, this is a book called How Not to Read the Bible. Tremendous book. Uh, making sense of anti-women, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy, other crazy sounding parts of scripture. There's even a little shrimp with a little cross through it. So, uh, it's a fantastic book 
to not just for an adult to read. I think this is fantastic for teenagers. In fact, the man who wrote this book discovered that we have got droves of students, young adults that are, that are graduating, going off to college, and they have asked questions that nobody has ever allowed them to either ask or nobody's given them answers. And so he wrote a book to help create a, an idea of how to read the scripture. We will always, 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 as long as I am pastor of this church, we will always be very scripturally centered. We're going to feast upon the scripture. There's a reason why every year that we do one to two series that are primarily centered around one book of the Bible. In fact, I did some math, which is always dangerous when I'm doing math, so please forgive me. Um, but I was looking at my wall of all of the sermon series we've done at this church. In the past handful of years, I calculated 108 messages just purely helping to understand one specific book of the Bible. That is two years worth. Why are we so focused? Because we believe the Bible can change change lives. In fact, it is, uh, the question is, how do you survive in a town where Satan has its throne? Because that's, that's one of my questions. I'm like, okay, how, did this, how does this church survive in the middle of all this pagan worship? How do you survive in a town where Satan has his throne? Quite simply, it's becoming a follower of Jesus and being a person of his word. Is that make it easy? Absolutely not. Because let's all admit, there are portions of the scripture that are very hard to understand. If you don't believe me, go to Leviticus right now and start reading. Read through Deuteronomy. Uh, there are times, that when I was a kid, my dad's favorite biblical answer for me, whenever I asked him a question and he didn't know the answer, he'd be like, go read Deuteronomy 29, 29. I would open it up and it would say, the secret things belong to the Lord and shut my Bible and I'd be all mad at him. He still, literally still does that to me. He does it to my kids. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Goodness gracious, dad. Here in Pergamum, what they struggled with was compromise. And their problem was spiritual pollution. Allowing things into the church, into their lives, and instead of culture becoming the avenue for which we can convey the good news of Jesus, the culture began to define how they were supposed to live, how the gospel really was supposed to be. And when we compromise, we are settling on what is convenient instead of what is true. Let me be real. It's convenient to not talk about sin any longer. It's convenient. It's convenient to not say something is wrong. That's convenient. It's convenient just to smile and just say, God bless you, and walk away the other, other way without answering or trying to answer a question. That's convenient. But it's not convenient to stand up for truth. And it's, because sometimes it's gonna sacrifice a bit of a reputation. Sometimes it may sacrifice a little bit of the friendship. It might sacrifice uh, some happy moments that might happen between you and a friend that you just don't want to offend. Offend. And now listen, I'm not saying that we gotta walk around with our Bibles and smack people upside the head with our KJVs and why we always talk about KJVs being heavier than the others, but then again, it is what it is. What, we, don't, we don't have to go looking to try to offend, but I'm just gonna tell you that when you follow Jesus, it's just gonna naturally offend people. It's just going to naturally offend people. And that's why we will do everything we can to preach the full gospel and we will always do it with love because I don't care what our doctrine is, it will always be as shallow as your level of love. Your doctrine will never be deeper than your level of love. And everything that we do, we will speak out of love. Sometimes love has got a hard word, but sometimes love does have a, more, a, a, a softer word that helps people to digest that which they need to hear. And Lord, give us the understanding of knowing when to do it. 
Now look here, verse uh, 14, chapter 2, verse 14, I've got to wrap up. Chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus says this, I've got a few complaints. You tolerate some of you, some among you, whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. This is a reference that goes as far back as the book of Numbers, chapter 22, all the way through verse, uh, chapter 24, getting into verse uh, chapter 25. And what happened was this, is Balaam was charged by Balak to go curse the people of God. And when Balaam saw the people of God, the children of Israel, he recognized, I can't curse them. And I love that statement. There's no way that I can curse them. Some of us are so afraid of what the enemy can do to us, but we forget about who is within us. I love that. There's just a powerful lesson. Some of us, we could talk about the devil way more than we, we give him way more credit than we give him. Some of us have dumb decisions and we blame the devil for our own dumb decisions. That's a whole different message by itself. But we give the devil a lot of credit and we forget to give God all of the glory, recognizing that he is above it all. He is above all of the enemy that can do. The scripture says the enemy comes in like a flood, but God sets up a standard. Then when God speaks, the enemy is scattered. We serve a God of all authority. And that's the type of, that's the reason why Balak was frustrated and Balaam says I can't curse them I can't but in chapter 25 it comes up with a different strategy because he said if I can't attack them from the outside we'll do something on the inside and so it's there that if you read numbers chapter 24 through 25 you'll see that instead of attacking them from the outside he began to sow compromise on the inside and that is how Israel found defeat Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest things that we can do is not fear about what's coming at us from the outside. People are like, the world's getting tough. I'm just going to give you a heads up. I've read Revelation. It will get tougher. Why are we surprised that it's, being t- it's tough to be a Christian in the world? Why are we surprised when politicians and, and laws are being made that are contrary to the word of God? I, I can't say don't be frustrated. Be frustrated, but stop being surprised. Well, ungodly people are making decisions. Well, they're going to make ungodly decisions because they're not godly. But the trick is, is, the trick is, is to watch our hearts and to recognize they're going to make ungodly decisions, but we have to sit closer to who Jesus is and sit closer to what he has challenged us to do and to live right and to live godly and to be missional to the people around us because laws can change, but the mission of God never will. Laws and change that will change around us, but the calling of God to make disciples of all nations never will. What's getting harder in America, man? Listen, I love to have you talk with my missionary friends over in Asia and China and the uttermost parts of the world. We've got nothing compared to what they have to deal with, but the church is thriving. Why? Because Jesus is alive and He's resurrected life is in all of us. Let's get that in our spirits and move that out. But the way that we chase that out of our lives is through the subtle compromises of our hearts. And so Jesus comes in and says, listen, Paragum, what you are doing is the same trajectory that happened to Balaam. You're allowing compromise. And that compromise is beginning to sacrifice your hearts, sacrifice your boldness, sacrifice your stance, sacrifice your views, sacrifice your doctrine, and, mo- and then all of a sudden it gets to the place where you just sacrifice Jesus altogether. It's like you are on the same trajectory. You see, a trajectory of biblical compromise will always invite destructive paths. A trajectory of biblical compromise, it will invite destructive paths every time. 
And but this is so heavy, isn't it? They, Dave, could you have something a little bit more encouraging? But what I love about this is Jesus doesn't leave it here. He doesn't walk in and say, y'all a mess. And he walks away and everyone's like, what do we do? What do we do? But Jesus gives an amazing word. Verse 16. And the word is simply repent. The Greek word, some of y'all are so sick of me with this Greek word. The Greek word is metanoia. Meta, a change. Noia, the mind. What repentance is, it's turning away from the direction you were going and getting back on track with Jesus. It's recognizing the direction I was taking my marriage, the direction I was taking my life, the direction I was parenting, the direction I was doing my business, direction I was, that whatever direction Jesus gave me at, that I've turned away from, I'm now gonna get back on track and serve him. That is the simplicity. If we have reduced repentance to being sorry for your sins, we have missed the boat. Because I've met a lot of people that were sorry that didn't change a thing about their life. But repentance is I am literally turning my life around and setting my feet back on the path of Jesus. If our keyboarders can come so I, I can shut up here. Just come and just begin to play in the background. The reward is beautiful. This is what's cool. Because when you read the scripture, I promise you, there's nothing, nothing superfluous in scripture. The details that, that we are given in scripture are never superfluous. They're always on point and there strategically. Because Jesus says this, he says, anyone who hears and listens to everyone who is victorious, who everyone who overcomes the temptation to compromise, I will give some of the manna that's been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. You're like, Pastor Dave, if we don't compromise, are you going to give us white stones after the service? No. Why? It's weird. But this doesn't make sense to us. Okay, Jesus is going to give manna, which was bread from heaven, and a white stone for, for not compromising. It makes almost no sense to us in this Western world, modern day. But that's why you've got to do your little Bible reading. My rewind noise all the way back to the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Because the manna was given from God from heaven and they took man and they put it into the Ark of the Covenant to remember the faithfulness of God. The Ark of the Covenant was a representation of the, of the presence of God. And then they put that Ark into the holiest place. It's called the Holy of Holies in the temple where the presence was God, of God was at. And only one person could get back to the Holy of Holies and that person was the high priest. And the priest, part of his gear that he was wearing, Part of that was wearing stones around his shoulder. And those stones represented the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why when you read the scripture, that upon Jesus' shoulders would be the government, the representation. And then on his chest plate would be stones that were representing the presence of the heart. There's so many different symbolisms. But when they would have heard about a white stone and about the manna, they would have thought about the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. And you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Let me sew this up for you. He says, 
your reward for not compromising, your reward for pushing through, your reward for sticking to what Jesus has called you to do, that, that two-edged sword, your reward for sticking to him and not compromising is this. What was the Holy of Holies? That was a place to be near to God. And what Jesus is saying, if you will stick close to me, if you will lean into me, if you will continue to be in my word, you know what the reward is? You'll be near to me. You'll be close to me. You'll come to the place where you thought nobody else could go because in one day, the only the priest could go in and only the priest could commune with God. But the scripture says that when Jesus died upon the cross, that the veil that held back the presence of God was rent in two. And when it was rent in two, it was like the Spirit of God came in like a flood, flooding the earth so that you and I could have communion with Him. And Jesus says, stop compromising because compromise will pull you away. But if you power through, if you'll be victorious, if you refuse to compromise, you know what the reward is? You get to be near to God. Oh, the nearness is what I want. Nearer, what's that old hymn? Near, 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 blessed Lord. Nearness. Because when I'm near to Jesus, guess what I get? I get to hear the wisdom I need for my life. What do I get when I'm near to Jesus? I get healing from my brokenness. When I'm going through times of my own personal depression, I'm telling you what, there's a part of me that just wants to kind of pull away, but I've had to learn a little pattern where I get along with my scriptures, and I've got these, one of the reasons why I've got the tattoos on my right arm, there's certain scriptures that I read, because what my thing is, I just want to get nearer, because there's something about being near to Jesus that chases away darkness, it gives me hope, where there's no mental reason why I should have hope whatsoever. Nearness to Jesus. Why don't we compromise? It's to be near to Jesus. Why do we dive into the scripture? It's to be near to Jesus. We don't disregard this. We believe this is fundamental and foundational. And that's why we're challenging you. Don't just entertain the Bible. Dive into it. Feast on it. Because the reward is you won't live a life of compromise. You'll know what to do. You'll know what decisions to make. And when you don't, go after the scriptures. Go into prayer. And let the Spirit of God begin to work in your life. Because the reward will be nearness to Jesus just to be near to him and the healing for church hurt is right there being near to Jesus the healing for the frustrations just sometimes the frustrations melt away just because you're near to Jesus I think of it when I was a kid the times that I was scared times that I felt alone there was just something about running down the hall and, and running to my parents room and just to be near to my parents and if 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 that could do for us something for us as a child, how much more, how much more could the presence of Jesus bring wholeness into our life just by us pushing away the things that are distracting us just to be near to Jesus? See, when it comes to being a man and woman of the word, just three things I'm going to give you, then I'll shut up. I promise you that it's true this time. When it comes to the word, three things. Number one, be faithful to read it. Be faithful to read it. Pastor, how much should I read? You know what I used to read? One verse and just read the verses on either side. Sometimes in the morning, I'm going through the book of Acts. Sometimes I don't get further than two verses. Pastor, that doesn't seem like a lot. Listen, sometimes you want to flay mignon, and it may not be as big as a pot roast, but it might be way better. But be faithful to read the word. Number two, be diligent to do the work to understand that. If you want books to help you, we can give you books. There are great apps. I can turn you on to some apps. We pass out um, some, a guide to apps when we talk about how to read the Bible. We can get you tools to help you in your Bible reading. But be diligent to understand it. And one of the best ways to understand the scriptures is to not do it alone. 
with two or three people and just say, let's go through the scriptures together. Start in the book of John. Best gospel out of the four. Trust me, I think Jesus thinks so too. It's my personal preference. Love you. Mark is okay. Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew, uh, the great. Let's start in John. Go to the book of Acts. Read the gospels and dive in together. And thirdly, we have to be driven to live it. It is no use getting that just up here. You've got to learn to live it out. But the best way to, to do it is to simply get back on track.